Today's quote comes from Hamlin Garland, an American novelist. Whenever the pressure of our complex city life thins my blood and numbs my brain, I seek relief in the trail. And when I hear the coyote wailing to the yellow dawn, my cares fall from me. I am happy. Hey, y'all. I'm Paul Sievers, interpreter with Great Parks of Hamilton County, and you are listening to Take It Outdoors, a podcast where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. In this episode, we will be discussing the coyote. More and more, we hear reports of coyotes in our neighborhoods. Worry and fear oftentimes accompany these reports, but is this an appropriate reaction? Should we worry about coyotes, or do they fulfill a valuable ecological niche vacated by extirpated predators? To discuss this issue, we'll talk with Rob Legas, wildlife research technician with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. Then we'll take it outdoors with Tom to search for the coyotes and their calls. Rob, thanks for joining us today on Take It Outdoors. Thanks for having me. All right, so the coyote is not a native animal to Ohio. In other words, it was not originally here. So when did they get here and how did they get here? Yeah, it's not necessarily native to Ohio itself. I wouldn't classify it as invasive as some people do because it is native to North America. History books, uh, Native American folklore uh, have long revered the coyote as a creator deity almost you know they have a lot of creation stories dealing with with the coyote so that comes from the desert southwest the rocky mountains uh, their native home range extends about from the the northern rockies to um, parts of mexico their range expansion really started in the united states in the in the early 20th century this is an animal that's been that's been persecuted its whole life. Predator control programs funded by the federal government in the late 1800s, early 1900s, really focused on wiping out predators in the United States uh, in the interest of livestock producers mostly. So uh, there was a well-funded program in the in the 20s, the biological survey that had a predator control arm and that was their sole focus. They, they were very good at, at what they did, you know, trapping, shooting, poisoning wolves, mountain lions, bears, and coyotes as well. Wolves themselves were extirpated from Ohio in the late 1800s, around 1878, and coyotes tend to fill those niches. They have, they have no larger carnivore predators to, to keep their populations in check. So with the extirpation of those larger predators and uh, habitat changes due to farming, uh, ranching, just general westward expansion, coyotes have, have filled that niche and moved their way into Ohio. The first reported sighting uh, in Ohio was in 1919 in Logan County. And it was reported in a local outdoor periodical. And then the first confirmed sighting was in 19, around 1947 in Preble County, which is on the Indiana border. Essentially, then their history in Ohio was really pretty short compared to everything else that's been here for potentially thousands of years. These guys have really only been around about 100 years. Mm-hmm. So are they, I mean, can you find them pretty much everywhere in Ohio now? Like, is there any part of Ohio that still has not seen them move in? No, you can, you can find them in all 88 counties in the state, every habitat type virtually. They prefer open areas, um, brushy edges, thin woodlands, but they, they thrive equally well in urban environments as well as rural. Well, it seems to make sense because if you compare their original habitat of desert to the eastern woodland forest of Ohio... There's not a lot of similarities. I mean, the weather's very different. The plant life is very different. The animals are very different. So clearly that itself shows that, to me at least, that they're highly adaptable. Yeah, and that, that's one of the things why they're so prevalent now is, the, is their adaptable nature. They've gone so far as, I think, 2010, they actually crossed the Panama Canal and are on the verge of getting into South America. So there's, there's a large tract of forest 
that they haven't pushed their way through, but I think it's just a matter of time before they'll even be down into South America. And these are all, I mean, from from the, the North America, yeah, from the um, North American population moving through Central America. Wow. And okay. they recently, well, within within the last century as well, have colonized northeastern portion of the United States and uh, the southeastern as well. It was kind of the last areas of the United States to be colonized. Any idea of numbers in Ohio? Have there been any any attempts to do any population studies? Uh, not necessarily population studies. We do an annual bow hunter survey that we send out. The information that we get from that is basically an index of the, the population of fur bearers and other animals. And from that, we can get a relative abundance of those different fur bears, raccoons, uh, skunks, coyotes, fox. And then over a length of time, you can get a population trend. We started the Bowhunter Survey in 1990, and based on that survey, there was a fairly rapid increase in the coyote population from 1990 through the beginning part of the 2000s up through 2005, 2008 timeframe. And then within the last 10 years, that population has kind of stabilized, or at least the sightings. They're reported as number of sightings per thousand hours. So based off of that, the most recent index is about 15 sightings per 1,000 hours of hunting time. So you say 15 sightings per 1,000 hours. How does that compare to, say, a raccoon or a skunk? Raccoon is the highest on the index uh, at about 37 sightings per 1,000 hours. And they're one of the few um, small mammal uh, mesopredators that are actually increasing. Red fox, gray fox, skunks, possums, they're all showing a slight decline over the last 20 years or so. In addition to the bow hunter survey, we also send out a fur taker survey. From that, I think the, the numbers for this past season, we had around 6,500 coyotes that were trapped, or that was either hunted through uh, shooting or, or trapped, um, and, it, and it was about an even split, about 3,500 each. And, I mean, it's pretty much, it's open season year-round for coyotes, right? Because there is no... Right, I mean, yeah, there natives, is, there's, so there's no closed no. season. It's very liberal on methods of take, whether it's firearms or trapping. So you, you can't poison them, like poison is illegal for any kind of wildlife. Even with those liberal, uh, you know, no close, no close season, no bag limits, they still manage to expand their populations. And I want to kind of, we'll come back to that. I, I want to talk about that a little bit more. I want to get into a little bit more about their natural history. So first off, how do you, if you see something in the woods and you think it's a coyote, what will tell you that it's a coyote and not your neighbor's dog? Coyotes, they're medium-sized predators, so... Size range in Ohio could vary anywhere between 25 and 45 pounds is the typical weight. They're about foot and a half, two foot high at the shoulder, three to four feet long. They have a tail, really bushy tail that's tipped with black. Uh, that's a pretty characteristic field mark. They have erect, uh, pointy ears, a fairly slender snout. Their coat is uh, grayish. It could vary grayish, tan, slightly reddish on the muzzle, the forelegs. They have like a white patch under their throat and their bellies. And they have distinctly yellow eyes. If you just no see them out in the field, you can observe their behavior. The way they hold their tail is slightly different from a dog. Uh, they typically hold their tail down or at like a 45-degree angle when they're either walking or trotting along. Uh, whereas a dog, you know, they wave them all over the place. And, and even their, the way they move, they're typically direction-oriented, so they'll be going from point A to point B. Dogs meander all over the place. So if you see tracks that are kind of wandering all over that look vaguely coyote-ish, it's probably a dog if it's meandering like that. The size of their tracks um, also, if you see them, is about two and a half inches long by two inches uh, wide, and they're more compact, oval-shaped, versus a dog's track would be uh, wider, more circular in shape. So in addition to their typical coat colors, 
Um, they've also been seen in ranges of stark black, completely white, and red. So then if you're trying to identify it, and it's okay, it's not the typical colors, you can then kind of go back to that behavior, probably more straight lines or tail at a 45-degree angle. Right. Here with Great Parks, when I, you know, when I talk to people, I talk to patrons about coyotes and people that call in to the Great Parks asking questions, it seems that there's a lot more sightings this time of year. This is their breeding season, right? So is that why, I mean, they're just more, much more active at this time of year because of that? Yeah, they are. Their, their breeding season uh, typically lasts anywhere from January to March. And so they're going to be a lot more active. They're, they're seeking mates as well as it being winter. So the resources aren't as plentiful food resources. So they might have to be out and about more often looking for food, ranging wider than they normally would from their home ranges. And there's not a lot of vegetation on the trees. The leaves are down, uh, makes it makes them more visible. Aside from seeing them, I, I commonly talk to people that hear them far more often than they see them. I mean, I myself, I've, you know, I feel like I spend a lot of times in the woods. I've seen very few coyotes. I've seen evidence of them, their scat, their tracks, things like that. But I don't see them that often, but I've certainly personally even heard them far more. So what, you know, and one thing that I hear a lot of is that, you know, oh, I hear them calling. They must have found a kill and are calling in everybody else to, hey, here's dinner. I mean, that's just not true, right? Yeah, typically when they call or howl, it's more of a social cue for the other coyotes around them. It's to locate other pack members to establish territories. They'll start a group howl to let the other coyotes in the area know how many there are, how, how large their numbers are. And it's a way to avoid conflict with outside packs or, or outside individual coyotes that may be roaming the area looking for new territory. So if, if you group howl together, you establish your number that you're, you're strong, this is your home turf, we don't want anybody to come in and invade this area. I want to talk, too, about that word pack, because we talk about them being pack animals, but really, a pa- I mean, I kind of feel like family group is a little bit... Right, yeah, you, you, can, you can say it either way. I think pack sometimes has a more negative connotation than a family unit would, but your typical rural coyote family, it's going to involve an alpha pair with pups of the young of the year and potentially young from previous year that are helping to raise this year's young. So if you have two adult coyotes, you may have, you know, four or five younger coyotes as well. And coyotes are unique in that their behavior changes in urban versus rural environments. So there's been packs that have been documented with male-male pairs, male-female pairs. You know, you, you could have an entire pack of related coyotes. There could be some that are not related, that were transients, that have come into the area and been welcomed into the, into the pack. So it could be multiple adults, or it could be a single pair with their pups. So it, it, it is quite a flexible family arrangement. But when you think about the pack mentality, a lot of people associate that with them hunting in packs. And coyotes are typically solo hunters. They will hunt in loose pairs. And usually when their resources are scarce, you know, you may have several coyotes uh, gang up and attack a larger animal like a white-tailed deer. So that, that does happen, but it's not the typical behavior. Oftentimes I've heard too that when they do attack a deer, it's typically one that's maybe sick or old or just the easier right, prey yeah. to get to. Yeah, that's true. And it, and it depends on how hungry they are, right? So if they haven't had a meal in a while, they may be more, uh, more aggressive or more likely to go after a prey they wouldn't normally go after. So not much different from humans, really, right? I mean, the hungrier we become, the more aggressive we can become. And exactly. <laughs> suddenly hangry, we eat right? things that they <laughs> get really upset that, oh, why did I eat that? Yeah. And uh, white, white-tailed deer do make up a significant portion of their diet, uh, usually in the fawning season. Um, they'll, they will take a, a portion of the, fa- the fawns from that year. But white-tailed deer have 
the ability of what they call predator swamping, where they lay all of their fawns around the same time. So there's a there's a plentiful resource for the for the predators to have, but there's also a lot that are going to survive into the next year. So let's let's talk about that for a second, because I've you know a lot of studies have shown that when coyotes come in, deer populations decline, um, Canada goose populations decline, feral cat populations decline, and these are all really animals that their numbers are too high at this point, right? So, you know, in the intro, I talked about them kind of filling this ecological niche, and we talked about uh, there used to be mountain lions here, there used to be wolves that were keeping these in check. So, I mean, essentially then, even though they're not technically a native animal, I mean, they're still doing a lot of ecological good, right, with these keeping these what at one point were rampant. Well, I mean, I, you could still say deer populations are rampant, and they're kind of bringing those back down to a healthier level. Right, and it's very localized. It depends on the, the coyotes in the area, but you could have fawn recruitment rates uh, at 20 to 80%, depending on where you are. So the coyotes can take that many fawns with, within a year. They don't do anything to really lower the numbers of deer because they're not feeding on the adults, typically, unless it's a roadkill, which is a large portion of their diet as well, being scavengers. And um, you'll see a lot of that mortality in, in the fawning season. So they can prevent the population from growing somewhat, but not necessarily decrease their numbers. And as in regards to Canada geese, uh, they are significant predators of the nests. They'll eat the eggs as well. But to take an adult goose would not be common. Keeping on the line of resources, you know, you you talked about receiving these surveys that you saw the increase occur for a while, but then in the last say ten years or so, they've seemed to level off. So basically, is what happening is they're moving into an area. The resources is what's keeping their populations now level. I mean, so they will increase in proportion to what resources are available. Yeah, resources as well as. Uh, surrounding coyote population density. So when a coyote pack establishes a territory, they have a certain amount of resources available to them in that area. And you see from the urban to rural gradient, coyotes that are in more urban environments will have smaller territories because there's more resources available to them. Uh, and their numbers may actually be higher because they're not being hunted or trapped in urban environments. Mortality is typically vehicle collisions. In rural areas, you'll see larger home ranges, and they might have to search a larger area for uh, food resources. So in when you have a high population density, the coyotes will have smaller smaller litters that year. And if you have a lower population density but plentiful resources, they can uh, have larger litters that allow them to care for all of those pups. And they have fairly high survivability as well within those litters. That leads me to two questions then. First one is, and I think there's a fear out there amongst some that we're seeing an increase and we fear that they're just going to continue to increase. But ideally we've seen the increase and chances are right. Yeah, there's I not going to be another increase, right? Yeah, I think no... the, that they've fairly well saturated Ohio with their population. So the population index that we base it off of, the Bowhunter survey, is, is, has basically leveled off. As coyotes die off, you know, transients will move in or, or neighboring uh, packs will, will move in and fill those territories that were vacated by the other coyotes. So we, we've reached a point of equilibrium almost with the coyote population that, that what we have here is what we have and it probably won't get any more and they're definitely not going anywhere. So the population's not going to go down. They have that adaptability that allows them to maintain those populations at a certain level. So then my second question is, you know, some areas, be it maybe specific neighborhoods or even states have kind of resorted to just killing the coyotes. Either the, the police will do it or they have, you know, big weekend hunts where they say, hey, let's just see how many coyotes we can get. And they're attempting to eradicate them. So basically that doesn't work because you're saying they're just, you can 
kill a whole pack off, but another pack's just going to move right back in to take those resources. Yeah, as a means of population control, um, obviously they've shown over the decades, over the centuries, that you can't wipe them out. You know, It may work if you're having issues in a local community with uh, aggressive coyotes, then it can work temporarily to do a lethal removal program. You, you remove those few coyotes out of the population and you may not have any issues for quite a while. Uh, so it can work locally, but from a population standpoint, they're always gonna move back in. They're very resilient in, in their numbers and they have a couple traits that allow them to be adaptable. They, they have the ability to increase their, their litter size. They can have anywhere from two to 19 pups in a litter. They're unique that the male coyote helps with the care of the young. Once they're old enough to feed, he'll go out and actively search for food, bring it back, and help raise them where other, other species don't necessarily do that. So two hands are always better than one, right? And they're just their general wily nature. You know, they have learned to live in and amongst humans for centuries. And they're very, if, if you've ever seen, um, yes, they do get hit on roads, but if you've ever seen a, a coyote approach a roadway, look both ways and cross the street, uh, you're pretty amazed at their adaptability within urban environments to deal with the human populations. I'm glad you mentioned that about looking both ways. Um, Dr. Stan Gert out of OSU, his, his website's really good if you want to check it out. It's called urbancoyoteresearch.com. And there's I, there had been at least at one point video of a coyote coming up to an intersection and just stopping, waiting for no cars. He'd look and then he'd cross the street. I mean, it's like a human would, you know. So that I'm glad you mentioned that. So check out that website. There's a lot of good information on that website in general. So clearly they're intelligent animals. And that's one thing I try to tell people when we talk about coyotes is, you know, again, that fear that, oh, there's so many of them. And it's like, well, they're here and they've been here, but how often do you really see them? Yeah, they keep their distance as much as they can. They don't necessarily want to interact with us because through their persecution over the years, they've learned to develop a healthy respect for what we're capable of. And in rural environments, you'll notice that they're a lot more wary than they are in urban environments because in urban environments you have people you know riding their bikes um, you have honking horns sirens they're used to dealing with the sounds and sights of human life i want to get into now the big questions that people always have so one is are they gonna eat my cat and dog do they actively hunt cats and dogs and the second one is should i worry about you know my kids in the backyard so First one, with cats and dogs, do they pursue cats and dogs? This is a, that's another characteristic that's allowed them to be so flexible and adaptable is their um, diet range. You know, they occupy a, from, from an energetic standpoint, a weight class that allows them to survive on smaller animals. And this is one of the things that's allowed them to adapt well to human society. You think about going from the size of a coyote to the size of a wolf and the prey base that they have to feed off of. So wolves have to take down larger larger animals, uh, whereas coyotes can survive on their typical diet of small mammals, voles, mice, uh, squirrels, rabbits, as well as other things like uh, plant matter, fruits, grasses, insects even. So they, they, they eat a wide variety of things, and they're fairly opportunistic. So if, if they come across something that is edible, they will probably eat it, whether that's, you know, human trash or uh, a cat, if they happen to be there. So they, they will eat cats. Um, it's not something I would say that they typically hunt out, but if there are feral cats in the neighborhood roaming around at night, there is a good chance um, and you know there's a coyote population there, there's a good chance your cat could come up missing. So if this is a house cat that you're uh, fond of, uh, it's probably best to keep them indoors at night. As far as dogs go, they're in the same family as coyotes, so it's more of a competition-based interaction rather than a food-based interaction. So, and, and it depends on the... Uh, how, how aggressive the, the dog is and, and the typical interaction, you know, um, is this dog 
a large dog or a small dog. If there's a den nearby, there may be a territorial dispute. If you're, you know, walking, running along a path, your dog's on a leash, um, and you notice a coyote that is kind of standing as a ground, he may have a den nearby. But again, it's, it's not something I would say that they're actively hunting out your pets to try to eat them. It's more of a situational thing and, and um, what that encounter is like. As long as you're not, you know, leaving your cats out at night or you're with your dog, which in most places, if you're out with your dog, there's leash laws anyways, there's really not a lot to worry about then. Right. And a lot of the studies in uh, metro parks around Ohio, particularly the Cleveland area, they've noticed that those interactions that get reported are when people are on rogue trails, not necessarily like a a well-established trail, and they're running with their dogs off leash. What about then kids in your backyard? I mean, I live in a neighborhood of Cincinnati. I've seen coyotes in, you know, running through my street. I mean, it was once. Like, I mean, it's it's not often. I will say that. There was one time, and it was about two o'clock in the morning. I happened to wake up and I looked out the window and, you know, coyote running down the street. Um, so I know kid, your people have fears of, well, can I even let my kid play in the backyard? Yeah, this, this is a situation where you need to monitor the behavior of the coyote. What is that coyote doing? And can you distinguish normal behavior from abnormal behavior? So in general, you'd say, I would say, no, your, your child is not in danger of being attacked by a coyote. There's only ever been two reported fatalities from a coyote. One in 1981, a young girl was taken in uh, California. And then in 2009, there was a, another female that was taken in Nova Scotia, Canada. Let's say, though, that you are, you're at a park, you're on the trail, a coyote is near, and you just want to make certain that, hey, I'm doing everything to stay safe. I mean, are there, or even if you're in your yard and you see coyotes, I mean, are there things that you can do to make sure that the coyotes know this is my territory? Yeah, you, you don't want them to get comfortable with approaching people. You want them to maintain that healthy distance and uh, respect of you as the apex predator in this situation. So you being the dominant one, should um, make your presence known, yelling, clapping, uh, making yourself bigger, and potentially scaring the coyote away. If you just ignore them, they could use that as a cue to get closer to humans in the future, uh, potentially causing a conflict, knowing that they have nothing to be afraid of from you. So establishing your dominance before they do is a key to maintaining uh, a healthy relationship. I've even seen things like people will keep, for those that see coyotes regularly in their area, like just on the back porch or something, they'll keep like a Coke can with rocks in it that they can shake or yeah, that's even perfect. throw, not at the coyotes, but in the general direction of the coyotes. To yeah, anything that makes a loud noise or, um, uh, you know, flashing lights, something that's a, a visual or auditory stimulus that's going to get them to turn and run in the other direction. Bottom line then is, I mean, conflicts with cats and dogs can be prevented. Some pretty easy steps. Um, Conflicts with humans are extremely rare, and there's typically always a a set of special circumstances that went along with that. So is this something that, hey, let's be cautious, but let's not freak out about? Yeah, I think the way to approach coyotes in urban areas is with a mutual respect. They're, They're here, they're not going anywhere. They're just doing what their genetics have programmed them to do. That doesn't mean to say that you're never going to come into conflict with them, but it is very rare when they're behaving in a normal fashion. So if you are experiencing uh, issues with a nuisance coyote that has shown uh, aggressive behavior towards your pets or towards yourself or, or, or a family member, Uh, you can contact a nuisance trapper. You can find that on our website, wildohio.gov, under the Nuisance Wildlife tab. There's a list of contractors uh, sorted out by county. So something like calling a nuisance trapper, I mean, that would be a situation where you're on your property and you have a, you know, there's a coyote that seems to be coming back regularly that's getting a little too, you know, close than, than what is normal. That's the situation, right? I mean, let's say you're just out in a park and you're running on the trail and you happen to 
come across the coyote. I mean, that's a very different situation, right? Right. In that situation, you want to contact the, the park and let them uh, know, you know, if, if you were confronted by a coyote and let their staff handle it. If it's a situation where it's in your yard and you've noticed a repeated pattern of um, aggressive behavior, you can contact a nuisance trapper to come out on your property to handle the situation. To kind of summarize everything we've talked about, let me make sure I get this right then. So coyotes are here. They're not going anywhere. There's nothing that we really need to be really fearful about. And in the end, they're really helping us to kind of create a more balanced ecosystem. Correct. Yeah. Coyotes, as we said before, have filled that uh, large mammalian predator niche within Ohio in the absence of, of wolves and mountain lions. And they do help to keep rodent populations down, that being their main prey source. They, they do serve a vital role uh, within the animal community that makes up Ohio. Like, where is he? He was quick. There, right there. See it? Yep, there he is. Is that a beaver? That's a beaver. There's a beaver. Looking for coyotes, but I'll still take a beaver. Man, I can't, like, it's silent. He's just He's zooming through that water. Oh, where'd he go? Oh, there, there he is. is. The trail of ripples in the moonlight. That's awesome. That's all that I saw. We are at Sharon Woods. We're down by the Lakeside Lodge. If you're familiar with Sharon Woods, it's one of our reservable shelters. It's, I think, Tom, the original boathouse, right? Like this is where the paddle boats were and everything years uh, and years yes, ago. Yes, I definitely know the all the history of the Sharon Woods <laughs> Lakeside Lodge. Um, it was previously the boathouse and now it's a lodge. Yep, so um, yep, so if you've got questions on Lakeside Lodge, ask Tom the Sharon Woods inter East Region Interpreter. He's, he's got you covered. <laughs> um, so it's it's a quiet little part of the park. Except when I'm here. Except when I'm Sympathons here, and we are down here. It's in the evening, so I mean the sun's been down for I don't know, a couple hours now. It's a good um, toasty what 29, 30 yeah, degrees, something like that. And uh, we came out here to hopefully hear some coyotes. Um, there's, from what I understand, like two typically two packs that you can. That's hear out what here. I've heard. Um, I mean, so, uh, the ranger and some of the other interpreters tell me that you can actually hear them howling to each other, like, hey, you know, we're over here. Just letting you know we're over here. And the other box group saying, hey, you know, we're just over here. So, you know, this is our spot. I think um, there's a group, uh, I, I don't know whether it's the same group that track, because we've got all these railroads around here. So it's really easy for the coyotes to travel. Um, so I don't know whether they're traveling over to Francis or if that's another group. My guess is that it's probably a similar, the same group, but I, I, I'm, I, I mean, we don't put geolocation trackers on right, them, right? So, right. Um, but yeah, they're over at Francis too. Tom, so you mentioned, you know, the railroad tracks, um, they like to move along those railroad tracks. It's easy because there's typically no humans on those railroad tracks. It's an easy way for them to move about their territory. Um, but because of railroad tracks, the train whistles will set them off too right and then that's you know what i've heard that train uh the train whistles i've heard ambulances police cars um nocturnal birds i heard that if the from what i've read if a coyote gets a chance to howl they'll howl it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> like like they're itching i think they've even done a, a couple studies where they the frequency of like ambulances and fire trucks, those sirens are the same frequencies as okay. the coyotes' howls. So that, things like that will also trigger them, yeah. spark them off. From, so. from what I, yeah, I, I read this uh, interesting little book on coyotes, and basically, you know, if you want to hear a group of coyotes, don't worry about having an awesome coyote howl. Even terrible coyote howlers can sometimes get a response. It's kind of like a barred owl. They kind of. They're very curious little owls. Yeah, so yeah. They, and they'll, you know, they'll they respond. respond to like mm -hmm. subpar. Un unless you have a group of 15 people <laughs> and you do an owl hike and all of a sudden all wildlife decides it's going to be completely silent right. for the you night. Want, you want to be that superstar naturalist <laughs> and then you get nothing. Oh, yeah. 
If we strike out on coyotes, we'll maybe have to give a couple barred owl hoots to see. Yeah, we can do, maybe do some barred owl hoots. I'm a, I'm not gonna say I'm a nerd, but when I was when I'm out in the dark and I'm searching for things, I just have like the Zelda theme song in the back of my head, you know, and I, I'm like, yeah, because it's like an it's like an adventure, it's like a quest, and you know, finding something is cool, but you're not gonna find. You know, there's this. I'm pretty sure you have this thing called a computer, Paul, that <laughs> yes. can actually dub the sound. <laughs> no, it's much cooler when I do it for you. It's gonna be your human soundtrack. Just the very act of being out here and searching for something that you might not necessarily find or hear, and if it does happen, it's like, yes. I mean, when you're at home, like I was out with my wife a, a couple months ago, and we were had a fire going, and we started hearing coyotes, and that was really cool. Um, but when you actually go out like searching for them and it happens, it's it's kind of a unique yeah. experience. Um, but the cool thing is, is again, even a, a, if you don't even hear any, chances are you're going to see other cool stuff. Yeah, like we just saw that beaver coming by. Yeah, the uh, beaver there, and which the is, clouds are clearing a little bit. I see uh, Orion here. Yeah, and then Sirius is with, right at the bottom there. And uh, Beetlejuice. And Taurus is, uh, I don't know, I think, I think that's one of Taurus's horns um, right at the top. The, okay. the name of the star, I don't know. <laughs> you, I, can, I can name the constellations. I, you, you, we've already named the two stars that I actually know by name. Well, well there you go. And Beetlejuice. Well, well there you go. So. Um, I, I uh, yeah, so the clouds are coming up, so that, that is kind of nice. Well, I, there's uh, probably the North Star, I guess. That's, so I know three names. Oh, well, there you go. In the sun. Um, that's the star. So four. And then I, I don't know if you can actually see it. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I know you can, but I know Alpha Centauri is our closest star, right? The, I thought the, Sirius was. No, that's the brightest. Okay. So Sirius no, is wait. the... Wait. Sir Sirius is the brightest star, and then Alpha Centauri is the closest star other than the sun. So how far is Alpha Centauri? Really far, but... Because I thought... Sirius was eight light years away. Well, then, Alpha Centauri is less than eight light years away. Because I always thought that, well, no, I mean, I'm not questioning you. I'm now I'm questioning me Hold because on, I Google always it. thought, well, we'll have to fact check this and we'll, no, we'll come I'm back gonna, to I'm this gonna, no, 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 no. Well, I know, I mean, I'm, like right now. Okay, but while you're say, doing that. I'm Googling it right <clears> now. <throat> ah, Alpha Centauri beats Sirius. How close is it? By four light years. It's only four light years away. So it's only away. four light years away. So I was right four. at least that it was eight light years away. Uh, I haven't looked up Sirius. I just I just looked up so Alpha, Alpha Centauri. So Alpha Centauri is four light years away. And then Sirius is eight. Yeah, eight. So, eight. all right. But now when we say brightest, that is apparent magnitude, right? Yeah. So it's just the, the burning. It, it's what, how bright it appears to us. Mm -hmm. There's brighter stars in the galaxy sure but that's their that would be like their the absolute magnitude mm -hmm. is different than the apparent magnitude yeah oh yeah because I mean there might be a brighter star but it's it's so far away that light, we don't, yeah. it's not exactly right. yeah, yeah. So. I mean it's the brightest star to us because of its proximity and because of its brightness yeah. Alpha Centauri is closer but it's not as bright yeah so that's yeah that's that's what's going on so we're talking about coyotes <laughs> There's so much cool stuff to see out here. Yeah. That is that is correct. Um, and I love, you know, when I do uh, constellation stories, I love talking about Orion because he's kind of gross. Uh, like like how he appears, you know, with the farmer having to pee on a blanket and then um, and, and then Orion appearing nine months later. And uh, his, his big uh, monsters that he has to catch uh, with his dog, Sirius, are um, great big rabbits. And, you know, I just, I just find that funny that one of the world's greatest Greek heroes just had to hunt giant rabbits. And then, yeah, once he defeated the rabbits, he became a hero and he married the king of the um, city's daughter that the rabbits were invading. And um, unfortunately, she passed away and then he became sad. So, but then he was like, because he's such a good hunter, he was hunting and Artemis saw that and Artemis was like, whoa, that is, that's like a Jason Momoa right there. Like that is a... That's a handsome. That's a handsome deer a, hunter. A what? J Jason Momoa. Oh, you Aquaman. Know. Aquaman. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Imagine if you're. It was like some Welsh slang term that I wasn't familiar with. No. Imagine. Imagine if you're the <laughs> go hunt, the goddess of hunting, and you see Jason Momoa with an adaladal, I um, mean, taking down um, deer with it with a spear, and, and so they, she got impressed, and they ended up dating, and they fell in love, and. Uh, 
because uh, you know Orion's a bit of a showboater. He said, "I'm gonna destroy. I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt every single animal uh, on in the world for you." And Mother Earth didn't like that, so she sent a big old Scorpio to to get him in the night. And um, so, so uh, they ended up sending Orion into the sky as 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 uh, you know as as, a, as an apology, so he can go hunt the giant bull Taurus. Uh, you know that story, right, Paul? I do now. Yeah, <laughs> I've never heard it. In the, it was an abbreviated with, version. Jason Momoa. You know, I've I've heard that story. Yeah, I was about to say because we're and looking then, for because uh, we're looking for coyotes. Remember? And then years and years <laughs> later, Ford Prefect came out of his shoulder. Ford Prefect. For those of you that get that reference, kudos to you. <laughs> so back to coyotes. I know. I know this isn't coyotes, but this kind of ties into uh, my experience with coyotes. Where I come from in Wales, I mean, we do have wildlife. I mean, we we have plenty of aquatic. I mean, whales come to Wales every now and again, right? We do have a few aquatic wildlife and, and football hooligans and, and, right? and football hooligans. Um, I mean, in in Wales, the idea of even seeing a deer is kind of exotic. So, you know, the idea of seeing a, a apex predator like a coyote. I, when I was a little kid, I just couldn't wait to move to America because you guys have bears, coyotes, um, alligators, American crocodiles, uh, bobcats, mountain lions. You have all these awesome predators that were unfortunately extirpated out of Britain um, hundreds of years ago. Uh, so I know coyotes are kind of a bit little, like some people aren't huge fans of coyotes and then some people really like coyotes. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like one or the other. There's not a lot of in between. Um, but I, I just, I just find the idea of having a proper predator in the forest really cool and, and just having, you know, hearing real uh, canids other than foxes um, out in the wildlife. I, I just think that would be a real shame if we didn't have if, if we lost all of our apex predators. I mean, so like we, we go to zoos and we see, you know, fishing cats, we see um, tigers and mountain lions and, and uh, exotic, you know, creatures. And we think, oh my goodness, how cool would it be if these creatures lived right next to, well, that's what I think. Maybe because I'm an interpreter, I have a little bit of a bias. We, you know, we think, oh, how cool it is. Well, I just, I, I know for a fact that there's, you know, zoos in Europe and Britain that have coyotes in them and the people are seeing these animals and thinking, how cool would it be if we actually had these animals next to us? And uh, we do, and I, I think, I think I, I don't know, they're just really interesting. Uh, as the speaker at the ODNR conference said, they're, they're, they're like the world's best adapters. They're, they're almost like magicians, the way they can just adapt to Dr. any... Dr. Stan Gert. Just the different roles that coyotes can take. And the, yeah. I just think, you know, we, we think that they eat um, deer and and all these other large animals when for the most part they're going to eat whatever they can find right they they, they go after I mean berries and uh, rabbits right. I and mean squirrels. like a lot of it is is so much of small rodents um, yeah I mean berries yeah squirrels are you know larger rodent but if they still, can catch them um, they're gonna um, go after them and yeah, but but I then mean, but then they also the, suck worms from the ground like how how cool is that yeah. So do you want to try uh see if we can create a howl? Absolutely. Okay. Uh yeah, we can I, I don't know, hopefully uh hopefully we have more success than I had a couple weeks ago. Well, let's um let's step back for the microphone. All right. So so I have googled how to howl like a coyote. But I've YouTube. They kind of have like a three-step howl, don't they? It's kind of like like that, right? It's like a bard owl, right? Bardos have that like yeah, it, it kind of like there. it kind of like leads it kind of like leads up to it. It's like it's yeah. like it's like they're getting ready to do Wait, like there's, there's a train whistle. See if that. See if they'll respond. See if they'll respond. Let's try. So uh, yeah, as so I said, it's kind of like lead up to it, right? So, um, all right. How about on three? All right, I'll, I'll kind of follow your lead. Oh, right, you'll follow my yeah, lead. Okay. All right. Yeah, so we didn't have a response, but something was kind of 
Why are those humans making trying to sound like a bloody coyote? That like we can tell it's not that. It's not one of us, but we're gonna take a look at it, see what's going on over there. Oh, oh, what's do you see the eye shine? Oh that's a mink! That's a mink! That is a mink, he's running along the bank. Oh my goodness! Oh that's so cool! It's a mink. That so, is awesome. I wonder what he's looking for. I don't know. He's cool. moved, just moving along the bank. It looked like, from our perspective, that the beaver was just kind of swimming through the water, and then all of a sudden he kind of went up onto the bank. Um, so mink are known to hunt, I mean, a lot around the water. So they'll find um, mussels and crayfish and, and fish, um, but they will also eat kind of anything they can get their hands on, basically. They're pretty... I mean, they eat toads. Toads and um, um, squirrels and birds. and I mean, so he was walking along the bank the whole time, and we never heard a rustle. We just thought it was the beaver back through the water. Well, we did that first creature that we did see wasn't. Was well, yeah, that was clearly it, through the, the water. He was, he was massive. There was no way that was a mink. Uh, and I did see a couple of eye shines. I think we saw a, cu- a couple of things that was, yeah. that was going through the he's, water. He's, he's disappeared, though. So, mink, um, mink have latrine sites, so they, when they go to the bathroom, they continue to come back to the same place. And I found latrine sites before that was littered with basically body parts. I mean, there was like part of a mole, part of a squirrel, um, part of a feral cat. I mean, like, and all in this one little space, and in, in places where they would, you know, constantly had relieved themselves they're kind of like screech owls in that they punch bigger than their weight right? yeah like they go after animals yeah. that probably weigh two three times more right. than they do and their numbers you know are, are relatively good i mean they had been a decline for a while because of mink coats and from what i understand is you know a high-end mink coat it's not like they you know would use the whole fur for the mink it was actually just a little bit of the back so to make a whole mink coat one, they're not that big to begin with, but the high-end ones only use a small portion of the fur from the mink to begin mm-hmm. with. So they, I mean, they were trapped and hunted extensively. I just can't imagine. Um, I mean, but I'm, their numbers are, you I'm know, I'm pretty sure right. this is the first time I've seen a mink in the wild. I've only... Usually it's a muskrat. I've seen them at Farbach Werner. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've, but in, in the four or five years I've known they've been there, I've only seen it. We're seen one twice, I think. Yeah, that is that's really. Um, so this is only the third time I've ever actually yeah, seen it in the wild as well. That was that was cool. That was pretty cool. That was cool. So beaver, mink, constellations, full moon. I think maybe we should go back to the parking lot and see if we can hear them. While, uh, I sometimes hear them back okay. in the heritage village. So before um, we go, let me. I just want to see if I can call a bar now to see. Okay. So yeah. I'm not not a pro at this. There's many people that are far better than I am, but we'll get, we'll get a shot here. So, Hear my call. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's hear. Uh, let's hear Tom's bar. All right, call here. Paul's gonna be like, "That is not how you do it." No, I'm, no, I'm not. You can give it. me some tips. Okay. <laughs> how was that? Not bad. All right, so we switched places now. We've moved back to the Sharon Center to see if we can. Here's some coyotes on over on this side of the park. So far we haven't heard anything. We heard some more train whistles. I wonder if because trains come by, because the train station is like right there, I wonder if because train sta- trains come by so often that it doesn't trigger them. What? No. There's something there. Do you see it? Do you see it? I see it. It's a raccoon. Oh, you're killing me. No, Paul is a coyote. It's a big one. It's about 30 pounds. <laughs> It's Actually, about, it's about three feet long. Is that a cat? I think it was a raccoon. You scared it away, Paul. It had a short tail. I know, I should have let it get closer. I bet that's what make, that was making that noise. Paul forgot to say that we were hearing like a jittering noise. 
See, the thing about human eyes is we're not designed to see well at night. They're designed to see well during the day. So in your eyes, you have rods and you have cones. And cones are what we have more in the center of our eyes that pick up all the colors. Cones for color. There you go. Cones for color. And rods, we do have a lot of rods, but they're all around the edges of our eyes. And that's what sees black and white. Rods for night. (laughs) Doesn't quite work as cones for color, but we'll go with it. So if you've ever looked at the stars, like say look at the Pleiades, and you know, it's kind of well known that you don't stare directly at them, you kind of stare next to them, but then focus on your periphery. And that's because those cones are what are more active when it's dark outside. Um, And so that's why you can see them better in your periphery because those cones are on the periphery of your eye. Um, But we also then just kind of see blobs of gray and black and, you know, uh, darker shades essentially at night, which makes it difficult sometimes to tell, is that a raccoon? Am I seeing movement? Or is that just a tree? I'm pretty sure that was a coyote ball. (laughs) The teeny tiny coyote. Okay, I think maybe we could just go a little bit down the path maybe. Okay. Okay. This kind of shows though, I mean... Challenge that we're having in the forest trying to look, look for ca- oh, here are coyotes. With the reports of how numerous they are. I mean, they're, they're just so good at hiding in plain sight of being aware of human presence and keeping their distance. people you know say you go out birding and you don't really see anything a bad day of birding is still a great day outside exactly you know hey we haven't heard coyotes yet but we just saw a beaver that's that great Folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed the discussion and have a better understanding of coyotes, their natural history, and the important role that they play in our ecosystem. I want to thank Rob Legas for joining us today. If you want to know more about ODNR, check out their website at wildohio.gov. For more information on all the great parks and our upcoming programs and events, head over to greatparks.org. And of course, thank you, listener, for joining us today on Take It Outdoors, a podcast where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. Check back next month for our next episode. And until then, I'm Paul Sievers. Get outside. Enjoy nature.